we can tell you, listen, yes, be happy, you know, stay positive. It's not easy when you're going through this. So by no means think that, oh, yes, I'm going to be happy and positive and everything's going to be okay. No, you're coming from a place of being, feeling alone and scared and being able to sustain that positive outcome in your personality and the things that you do in life is something that you really have reached deep. And at the same time, like I said, everything, the family, the support system, the nutrition, the way that you handle yourself, the things that you do all play a big role in order for you to be emotionally stable, to be able to have that positive take on life. Welcome to Glioblastoma, a.k.a. GBM, a podcast brought to you by the Glioblastoma Research Organization, highlighting stories with GBM warriors, caregivers, medical advisors, and more. Join us this season as we connect with members of our incredible community and have meaningful and insightful chats regarding all things glioblastoma. Please note that any information provided on this show is not meant to treat, diagnose, or prevent any disease, and all conversations stem from individuals' personal experiences and is only meant to share one story of what worked for them. The information provided in this show is not a substitute for professional medical advice, and you should contact your medical provider and healthcare team with any questions. I'm your host, Amber Barback, and today we're joined by world-renowned Chef Lorena Garcia. Chef Lorena is a huge advocate for GBM, as her brother has been fighting the disease for the last four years. On today's episode, we'll learn all about Chef Lorena's relationship to food, how food has helped her brother in his GBM journey, what family means to her, and so much more. So without further ado, Chef Lorena Garcia. Chef Lorena, thank you so much for being on our show. We are so excited to have you. I know you're an ambassador for the Glioblastoma Research Organization, and we are so thrilled that you are able to come on the podcast and talk with us today about your experience as well as your brothers with glioblastoma. Of course. Thank you so much for the invitation, Amber. I'm always very much interested in everything that we can do to bring awareness to this disease. Absolutely. And so just some background for those who don't know who you are. Can you tell us about your background, your experience with food, all the way leading up to you winning Top Chef Masters and how your life has evolved from there? Absolutely, yes. I graduated from Johnson & Wales University many moons ago. <laughs> I'm not going to say how many. And <laughs> I decided to travel the world. I opened several restaurants, done tons of television. And lately, of course, the last part of my career when finally I was able to open my own restaurant at Chica. I'm at the Venetian Resorts in Las Vegas, making me the only woman Hispanic to have a restaurant. That's amazing. Property. Yes. And there's only a handful, about four or five women that own restaurants on the Strip with over 4,000 restaurants. So that makes us really special in that area. I also have Chica here in Miami in the Upper East Side, and also in Aspen, in which we opened in the base of the Ajax Mountain in November. It has been a true blessing to be there and, and the acceptance in, in Aspen. I'm also a published book author. I am actually working on my third book right now. I'm a philanthropist also. Of course, you know, the glioblastoma is a big cause of mine because of my brother. But I also am a very big advocate of children, the health of kids, the fight against obesity, and also women in the industry as a whole to have more representation in executive level positions. When it comes to TV, right now I am on Discovery Plus and Food Network in a show called 
tournament of champions with my dear friend Guy Fieri as a judge. And I also have other projects uh, coming up very soon. They have not been announced yet, so I cannot tell you which ones <laughs> they are, but you will know very soon and you will see me on the screen as well. I also have my, my beautiful place. It's a culinary loft here in Miami in which I create all my recipes. I do different productions as well, the step-by-step type of show in the kitchen. It's a 5,000 square foot of a beautiful kitchen that I designed to do all the creative that I do. And I also launched my line of frozen desserts and meal solutions at Walmart. I'm over a thousand stores with my grandmother's line, Doña Rosario, Latin Delights, all these recipes, beautiful desserts and meal solutions that the recipes that I grew up with that my mother and my grandmother used to make at home and I was able to give it my own twist. And now, you know, Walmart picked it up and I'm super excited to launch this product. Very affordable, but at the same time with high quality ingredients and super excited to be able to touch the market with the recipes that my grandmother taught me when I was little. So that's in a nutshell what Chef Lorena is all about right now. <laughs> I'm a mother of a six-year-old. <laughs> no, that's amazing. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. For the recipes that you decided to choose with Walmart, I'm sure that you had so many different desserts and memories with your family growing up. What made you pick the select few? I believe one is a flan. I saw that. Yes. And the yes. other is a tres leches? The tres leches cake. Okay. What made those two stand out for you? Of course. Well, I wanted to do tons of research, marketing research, and, and really find out, even from the name of the brand to the colors that I use. This is a project that I've been working on for the last five years of my life. And it's been a truly incredible experience of learning, you know, so much about branding. And, and Tres Leches and Flan is actually one of the recipes that I remember growing up and my, my grandmother making at home. So I wanted to start with that. These are desserts that are widely known in Latin America. Actually, we fight between Mexico, Colombia, Venezuela. Who owns the Tres Leches and who owns the Flan? <laughs> We call it different names, but at the end of the day, it's the same. And I think it's a big representation of our culture when it comes to these two desserts. And Walmart was very interested in bringing something of high quality. And, you know, when I brought my tasting, they loved it. They absolutely loved, fell in love. And I won that bid of being able to bring these desserts to the store. So super exciting. That's amazing. No, I've, I've tried the flan and I also have tried your restaurants. And I can say it's incredible. And I'm you know, so excited that we're involved together and it's it's been really a pleasure to not be able to chat about philanthropy, but also connect on food levels as well. So it's really awesome to hear that you're doing all this amazing things. Thank you. You too. You are too. And we're going to Thank talk about you. it. <laughs> <laughs> so in relation to food and, and health, have you always correlated food with health? And what are some ways you've used food to heal in your life? I think food is such a big player of you know, healing, not only the soul, the body, but the mind, right? I think that we are what we eat. It reflects not only in your mood, but in the way that you look, in your self-esteem, in your health. There is so much that depart from the way that you eat and the foods that you consume and the way that you nurture yourself. And that has been a huge role. I mean, from comfort food for my family, my son, my brother, to just enjoying life and having a party and having my friends and my family, and even my customers at my restaurants, just enjoying it. And I see it so much further than just eating, right, for your body. I think that even the relationships that you develop on the table once you're eating, they're so important. I am I'm part of a, the Chef for Diplomacy project 
This is a group of chefs that we travel the world representing our culture, different levels in the government. And it's such a wonderful experience to see the decisions making on a table once you're eating and breaking bread. It is so different to when you're in an office and, you know, full of suits and the ambience is stuffed, right? But when you're in a table, you're breaking bread, you're talking about the issues that you're talking, everything is easier. I think that everybody is more open to ideas. And that is something that I see is the, the effects, what happens when you're in a table having delicious comfort food. And that's what I have dedicated my time and something that I love. And that's why I do it. I do it because of that connection that is so personable between what I make with my hands and, and also imagine feeding people. That's something that I absolutely love. It fills me up. And what happens when you're feeding those relationships is extremely important. Amazing. And so you mentioned a lot, and we know we did a Q&A about how you cook a lot for your brother who has currently gone through a glioblastoma diagnosis, and he's going through treatment. And I believe he is how many years out now? This will be his fourth year. On That's treatment. incredible. Yeah. Incredible. Yes, it's been a miracle, a blessing. I'm very grateful every day I pray and I'm super grateful. And I also have the awareness that this is a miracle and he's been so blessed to be able to continue to do his life. With treatment, it's not easy, but he's moving forward. Right. And so can you tell us about his experience, his diagnosis leading up to treatment and what that process has been like for him as well as for you? I can see it from two different points of view. From my brother, of course, you know, it was a moment of shock. When we saw that first scan and we saw the size of that tumor, it was the size of a tennis ball. Was he having any symptoms? Yes, he had a couple of seizures. When he was riding, he would kind of go down on the lines. He would be very forgetful. You know, when you're thinking about something, but you, the word doesn't come to you, mm-hmm. that will happen to him a lot. And of course, the seizure, you know, he lost, he was eating and he lost a fork. His hand went down. It was a matter of seconds. Wow. That, yeah, that was a seizure then. Coincidentally, he just told me the story in the car. He said, you know what, sister, he was here in Miami. He said, we were in the car going to a meeting. He said, listen, you know, this happened to me. I don't want to tell anything to my wife or my mom. I don't want to worry. What do you think? I made a U-turn and took him to my doctor. That's what I did. Oh, my goodness. I said, yeah. And it's something that just took over me. And I said, this is not something normal. And I think that we need to be 100% sure that you're okay before you take a plane back home. And that's exactly what we did. And that's when everything started. We discovered that. Dr. Carmenate did diagnose. And then, of course, you know, we were so blessed. I moved, you know, heaven and earth to find. I think that the key for me at that point was to find a second opinion. Because the first doctors told me, you know, there is nothing you can do. You pretty much say your goodbyes. You know, from there to really finding a doctor that was able to guide us in the right direction. And my brother having surgery with Dr. Kamotar. I mean, I call it miracle after miracle, right? Finding the right doctor, being able to retract that tumor, and then he being able to go into a, one of the hundreds of clinical trials that are out there that he was able to apply. And actually, he was a candidate for it because you have to fill some specific requirements in order to enter in these clinical trials. And you know, he was. And that's what has been taking us up to today. So the initial shocking for my brother and, of course, as a family, in a matter of 24 hours, my mother, my nephews, all my brother's kids, his wife, everybody was here in Miami with us. So, you know, we moved as a family and 
I remember that one of the parts of comforting everybody at home was cooking for them and making comfort food and, and making the food that he loved. And that was something that I always remember from that day. What were some of the things that you remember making during that evening? I remember making everything that he liked, his favorite foods. It's something interesting. This is a perfect opportunity to talk about this. When you are in this chaos in which you feel lonely, you feel desperate, you think that your life is going to change forever, and it does. When you think that your brother, that is it's my only brother, he was going to die, you enter in, into a process, I say, of not only adjusting to the news, but what can you do? You either sit down and start crying, or you move and do something, whatever it needs to be done to really get the very best treatment and whatever is out there. There is a lot of reading, a lot of research, a lot of looking at what is out there, what are the treatments, what is the best. And in my experience, I am the type of person that I'm always, and this is probably because I'm a chef and I'm in the kitchen and I'm always, you know, the leader in, in finding solutions in, in the restaurant that I always go into that mode, right? Let's find the solution. Almost like fight or flight mode. Yes, exactly. I cry after, right? I have my time. I went actually right. to therapy to deal with this news after months, after my brother was on treatment. I realized that I, I needed help. You know what I mean? I was depressed and thank God went, went to therapy and he did wonders for me. And, and I was able to move on and, and assume this new chapter in life with my brother. And I remember making for him everything that he liked. And now I'm going to go back to my first thought is, Every doctor tells you, no sugar. Although the doctor tells you, it doesn't matter. Listen, you have to eat clean, only greens. The other doctor tells you, well, maybe, you know, it, everybody tells you something different. Friends that have gone through the same, people that you reach out that are going through it. Doctors that tell you, you know, different things depending on the opinion that you're looking and seeking for. And we, at the end, just decided, eat whatever you want. If you're hungry, eat. Of course, in moderation, but eat. If you want to, you know, a slice of pizza, have it. If you want a little, a little cookie, have it. And I think that for my brother specifically, that worked for him because, of course, the diet was a very balanced diet, but I was able to comfort him with the things that he liked. Because imagine if you're on a treatment, you're going through chemotherapy, you're going through your clinical trial, you're going through these crazy side effects and things that you're going through because you're, you're having this sickness. And then also you're going to be deprived of all the things that you like. It's like, wow, where do you find comfort? We took that decision as a family. And let me tell you, my brother eats whatever he wants in moderation again, right? That everything I think is in moderation. There are certain things that we try to stay away from, like, for example, you know, red meats or shrimps is something that, you know, it sits him well or eggs, anything that is high cholesterol, we try to take it away from his diet. But besides that, he pretty much eats everything. And has worked for him. And I think that as long as he's hungry and he's able to eat, and I always say that the brain cells are made out of sugar. So if he likes a cookie, have it. You know what I mean? It's, right. it's just the way that it is. I think that's super interesting because when my father had glioblastoma, he was on this like, I mean, he did it himself because he was a natural doctor, but he decided his diet literally was like watermelon, 99% lean hamburgers, sweet potatoes, eggs. Yeah. And like broccoli, maybe. Correct. I just remember he was like really struggling. I don't know how he chose that diet, but I couldn't look at a watermelon for months after he passed away. There was like just hundreds of watermelons and it was just fully stuck to this one diet. And I think that obviously, you know, I can't go back and change time, but I think incorporating more things that make you happy are huge food boosters. 
for anyone in general, even if you're not dealing with any kind of diagnosis, but like food is the most comforting thing. And, you know, if you relate it to the way that you feel, I think this sickness, you combat it in different ways. You have the spiritual side, you have the physical side, right? And the emotional side. So if you're miserable and sad, and, and my brother loves a cookie. <laughs> he loves <laughs> a cookie. He loves a, a little ice cream. He's the type of person that at the end of a meal, he just eats for the dessert. You know what I mean? So even something that small is big. And his emotional state was very important for us as well as the spiritual one and the physical one. Mm -hmm. So that was something that I was very careful is that if you, you cannot see only as your physical being, you have to see it from all aspects of your life, how this affects you. And if your emotions are down, your defenses are down, I think that affects tremendously the results. And my brother is somebody that he's the life of the party, has always been, I'm not a person of so many jokes. I'm very mm -hmm. social, but I'm not the life of the party. My brother is, you know, he's mm -hmm. the type of person that he loves to tell jokes. He's always in a good mood. And I noticed that he carries out. He goes to treatment and let me tell you, his treatment is very intense. And he's always making jokes and, you know, all the enfermeras, the nurses love him. And, you know, always think about him because he's that type of a person that he becomes friends and tell jokes. And even when he's in the despair of his treatment, he still has that good mood. And I think that is a big part of the way that he's living his life is that, and also the spiritual side of staying connected with faith. I think there's something very important in his nutrition and, you know, the, his activities during the day, keeping busy, all these things besides, again, the treatment and the physical side, that it is, of course, the main one, all these other factors, I think that affects the results. Personally, I think that it does. I think it's also super interesting because on this podcast now, it's given the organization such an outlet to connect with people all over the world. And I've interviewed, I believe, three long-term survivors already. One is 18 years post-diagnosis, and one is, I think, four or five years. And everyone's doing incredible. And I noticed that this huge factor among all of them is that they're all so incredibly positive and have such high spirits. Yes. And it's so inspiring for me, and I think for a lot of people that will be listening to the podcast. So it's also really nice to hear that your brother as well is that it's just such a common factor. You're totally right. Because it's not easy. We can tell you, listen, yes, be happy, you know, stay positive. It's not easy when you're going through this. So by no means think that, oh, yes, I'm going to be happy and positive and everything's going to be okay. No, you're coming from a place of being, feeling alone and scared. And being able to sustain that positive outcome in your personality and the things that you do in life is something that you really have reached deep and at the same time, like I said, everything, the family, the support system, the nutrition, the way that you handle yourself, the things that you do all play a big role in order for you to be emotionally stable, to be able to have that positive take on life while you're going through the most difficult thing that rules his life. You know what I mean? My brother, he has to be on treatment every two weeks and that's the way that he is. And that's the way that it is. And that's the way that his life evolves with. So it is not easy, but it's definitely possible. And it is definitely a big part of the results in my experience. Right. We'll be right back in just a moment. And now back to the conversation. And so going back to, you know, when he was diagnosed, he said it was a tumor about the size of a tennis ball. What was the surgery yeah. like? And 
post that you mentioned a clinical trial since that moment, what has his treatment been like and what is he currently doing? Yeah, we had a first operation and it was not successful. That's what I was telling you that if I would have stayed there, probably my brother wouldn't have lived today. And, you know, we decided to leave that aside. And, you know, I'd rather not say who or where because, you know, it's, right. it's not my place. But anyway, that happened. And again, I couldn't take that as an answer. When somebody give you a prognosis that you have no hope, you just run on the other direction and find somebody who does. And I was very lucky to find a doctor in Chicago that that's researched for glioblastoma and he recommended Dr. Komotar. He completely eliminated the treatment that we had planned out for my brother and we went straight with surgery. We met Dr. Komotar the same day that night he did the surgery. Wow. And immediately, yeah, we met him on a Thursday at two o'clock in the afternoon and he was already admitted and by seven eight o'clock, he was already in the hospital and at 7 a.m. he was having surgery. So it was literally the same day he got admitted. And after that, of course, Dr. Komotar has that wonderful team, call him, call him the dream team. And I think that that's the way that he calls on the newspaper, the dream team of really, he wants to cure it. He wants to cure brain cancer. And you have the best radiologist. Of course, you have Dr. De La Fuente, which is the doctor that, that is with my brother and, and the head of this, his clinical trial. And Again, it's not easy, right? The days that he had, actually, he's on treatment today. Mm -hmm. I just received a picture. He always sends a picture to our family chat. We're always in contact. You know, it's funny because I'm going to tell you a little joke, and this can tell you the personality of my brother. He is in the clinic. He has the IVs. He has, you know, his math. He's in the middle of the treatment. And, of course, my niece, my nephew, my mother, me, we said, vamos, brother, let's go, let's go. And then he says, Oh, yeah, everybody's telling me, let's go, but nobody's telling me where. Where are we going? (laughs) (laughs) I love that. He said all these these emojis, right? That everybody's telling me, let's go, but nobody's telling me where. And then I mentioned, you know, we're going to go to your favorite restaurant. You know, these are the things that we always keep it light and, you know, with the jokes. But that tells you, you know, that he's going through such a hard time and he's still able to tell the joke. And I think that has something to do with that. He has never victimized himself in this process. And that's what I think that it has been a very big step into him being able to have a different outcome in life, right? Right. So that's what it is. Every two weeks he has his treatment. Again, it's very intense. But again, it's this clinical trial that I think that is so important, the research and, and all the advances that I have done. They have, you know, at least Dr. Komotar in the group at the University of Miami, they fight against the glioblastoma multiform because I have seen that a few years ago, this wasn't the case. Even this clinical trial wasn't even in existence. So the fact that there's so many studies and there's some all the things that are happening right now in order to fight this disease is very comforting to see. And I always say my brother that he's an ambassador of that. He's one of the stories that couldn't go different. He's still able to tell the story. So that is something that we're very blessed and very grateful to go through that. And my brother as well, of course. Absolutely. And so going through this whole process with your brother, I mean, how did this impact you? I know you mentioned that you had done therapy earlier and after being in the flight or flight mode, but how do you feel overall as a caregiver that changed your life? It gives me much perspective into what is important in life and not, and that changed for me the day that he got diagnosed. The day that I saw the, the scans, we were in the doctor's office and I saw it and I saw everybody's faces and we were just, you know, in shock. So that's shocking, you know, that it's almost like a post-traumatic situation that happens and then you just do adjust. For me, I think that has given me 
so much more awareness of where I'm at, staying present, right? It has, of course, changed my relationship with my brother tremendously. We're super close today, which before he used to have his life and I used to have mine. We would talk, but we were never that close like we are right now. That's something that definitely has changed. And the family dynamic also changed. Even though we live in different countries, we stay very close together. When it comes to the point of nurturing him, even though he lives a very independent life, again, you know, those comfort moments, you know, family of memories of eating on the table, that is something that we do. And we can spend a Sunday in the barbecue, eating and talking and just feeding that soul that I think that's when I say that food goes beyond just nurturing your body is feeding the soul and what happens, that dynamic that, you know, inspires you and and then that way you want to continue to move forward and fight this disease. And I think that that is a part that support system, family, friends is, is key. Absolutely. Was there any specific place where you gathered knowledge on how to be a caregiver or any place that you looked to for advice when dealing with your brother's diagnosis? Yes, I read as much as I could on the internet, like anybody else. So I try to, you know, and again, the World Wide Web, it's a scary place because you see so much information, but at the end of the day, you are an individual and it is so far away from who you are, right? Because it's, it's so much information from every angle. So you just really try to educate yourself the best way that you can. And then talking to other people, yes, I had the chance to talk to two different people that went through the same, even though one of them passed. I spoke to the families and the other one is a friend of mine that went through brain cancer, didn't have a glioblastoma, but he went through chemotherapy and having cancer and, and being well. And actually, this is one of my friends that actually recommended me, the doctor that ended up recommending me, Dr. Komotar, and through the research that I also read about him. So that's what I did. I, you know, entered into research mode, tried to educate myself with the doctors that aligned with me. And with this said, I spoke with four different doctors that kind of proposed different approaches to my brother's sickness. And the only one that actually fit into my reason was Dr. Komotar. And, and that's who we follow. And, and thank God that's what it is. So people that are going through this and are listening to this podcast, the only thing that I can tell you, find a second and a third and a fourth opinion until you find the answer that you're looking for, because I, that's very important. And that's, I think, that what has given my brother the life that he has had until now and that he will continue to have. It is that. Whatever time he has left based on the decisions that you make. And in this particular case, at the beginning, he was he was advised to do chemotherapy and radiation. If that would have happened, my brother would have been dead at this moment because after you do that, you cannot have a surgery. When we met Dr. Komotar, he said, you need to take the tumor first and then do chemotherapy and radiation and everything that you need to do. But you need to take that truck of garbage out of the... It is impossible to clean a space without taking the garbage out. And that was for my brother's specific situation. I'm only talking about my brother. This is very important. Only talking about my brother's case. Two of the doctors that I really look up to said, you need to have surgery first and then you do it. If you do it the other way around, after you touch with chemotherapy and radiation, you cannot have a surgery. And that would have been it. So I think that the fact that finding somebody like Dr. Komotar that is able to do these unoperable tumors, <laughs> you know what I mean? And being able to resect it in, his cap in full capacity and being able to not only that, but refer him to the person that in the foundation that was able to 
move on with and he able to apply and be accepted for this clinical trial and that stage because this clinical trial through the years, I think that they're in phases. And my brother knows a little bit more about it, but you know, you have phase four, three, two, and one, right? So that has changed with my brother's treatment. He went through the phase one, then the phase two, and I think they're now in phase three. So, you know, it continues, it continues. And they ask him several questions, you know, how he feels, what are his side effects? Of course, that you have some, but nothing, nothing that you're not able to deal with and that gives you life and time. That's what right. I think his most precious gift today. What does his day-to-day look like now, four years post-surgery? He wakes up every day, he makes his breakfast, he drives, he goes to work, he does his business. Of course, he had a very intense life. He used to own several businesses, a very high pace. He sold everything and he lives a very simple life today. That's a big change for him, right? And he really finds comfort in his family. So he sees his children. He got married when he was 17. So he has a he even has grandkids and my brother is only, you know, 55 years old and he has a, a five-year-old grandkid and, you know, and, and oh, his wow. kids, yeah, he has a 10-year-old boy all the way to a 30-year-old big man son and, you know, two daughters, three sons. So he has a big family and he, I see him that he simplified his life. He can live with less, he can live with less stress and just enjoy family time. And try to, of course, he works, but in a, in a less high intent environment. And taking every day, his persona changed a lot because I think that the family, of course, because he was going through it, he had the biggest change in, I will say, in awareness of what is important in life. And at the end, your family is what is important. So I see him very much taking the time to be present on that. Any lessons in particular that you feel like you've learned from Carlos? Through this whole experience, any important lessons that you think are Absolutely. Notable? Important lessons. Listen, I think that everybody deserves a second chance. I think that, you know, in life, you make mistakes, you go through life and you stumble on through the way you find little pieces of wood that you have to, you know, either burn or jump over. But at the end of the day, it's part of the same fire, right? And I think that even the things that you need to adjust in life, something like this, of this magnitude that, you know, your life is at risk and that you know that you're going to die. And if you don't, it's a miracle. Like it happened to him that he didn't in the time that it was expected of him. And now I think it's just a free time. Is that, is that, that you change and you really find the value of what really matters. You know, I'm a person that I'm a very business driven. I own several businesses. I own restaurants. I do TV shows and have a very hectic life. I learned that, listen, Lorena, you need to really find a balance that not everything is worth because you work so much because you want to provide to your family the best that you can. But at the same time, if you're not present, then you're, you know, living a big part away. So it's finding that balance is something that really impacted me and that I definitely changed in my life. You know, I used to say yes to everything in work related. Now I don't, you know, I really do the things that fulfill me that I think that are also important for the family and the well-being of everybody in my surroundings. But at the same time, you know, I spend time with my family. I like to be present. That is something that before I probably would have combined it with work. And now uh, that changed in me as well. I had to, at the time, go through therapy in order to be able to move forward because I was so impacted by it, right? I was afraid of losing my brother. I was afraid what that was going to impact my mother. You know, it's the three of us. It's my father passed, my stepfather, which was my father, all my life. He passed away a few years ago. So 
I was also worried about my mother and what that would do to her. You know, it's so many things that at the end of the day, what matters the most is family. Right. I think that's a great lesson, definitely. I think I also learned that as well during my father's diagnosis too. It's it's kind of a shame though that it takes a lot of times a really significant life circumstance or some kind of big shift to teach you these important lessons. I yes. think for a lot of people that happens. Totally, Amber. And what do you do with it, right? You could have go under, but you decided let's take this opportunity or what I went through and the pain that I went through to do something about it and to change other people's lives. So if you can change one life, that will be everything. And I cannot thank you enough, Amber. We met because I started following you, you know, in my desperation of what I was going through and I found comfort on you. And I found comfort in your initiative and what you do. I didn't even have to think about it, you know, because again, it's just something that unites us that you and me know what, what that means, what you go through. And if we can do something, anything to change somebody's perspective, if somebody is listening to this, Amber, and it can change their life in any way, I think that our mission is on the right way and the right track, right? That's why we do it. And I couldn't think of a better way to support this and with your initiative. And I cannot thank you enough. And I'm going to take this podcast opportunity in your podcast to thank you for what you do, for bringing awareness. There is so much that needs to be done and you're working it. You're working it really, really hard, Amber. Thank you. Thank you. I really do appreciate that. It's so nice. I'm really thankful we connected and that you've such a strong support through our organization. I mean, we have for everyone listening, by the time this episode is released, we'll have already done it. But tomorrow we are actually launching Project Garcia with the University of Miami. And we are making a $50,000 donation grant to launch a new project in honor of Carlos Garcia. We're so excited. Bravo, bravo, Amber. So I'm very thrilled and I'm so excited that we've been able to connect and make change together for the glioblastoma community. Absolutely, Amber. And you know that you count on me and Lorena Garcia and everything that I do to support the cause and any advice, anything that, you know, anybody ever needs, I have my door open for an advice and a, and a hug. <laughs> Amazing. And so I have a few more questions before we wrap up. These are some fun ones. We had a Q&A with you a few weeks ago, and you mentioned that you love to make soups for your brother after his treatments <laughs> or before medical visits. What is your favorite soup to make? <laughs> Can you tell us the recipe? Talk us through how to make it. What is your absolute favorite soup you like to make? Okay, I'm going to tell you this. This is not my favorite soup. This is my brother's favorite soup. Okay. He loves short rib soup. We call it caldo de res. That sounds incredible. Oh, my God. (laughs) Caldo de res is a caldo. It's like a stock. You call it caldo de res, but it's really a broadly, very hearty soup. It has... The costilla de res, it has the the short rib, mm-hmm. and it's cooked low and slow in this beautiful broth with tons of vegetables. I put carrots, potatoes, garlic, ají dulce, which is this beautiful sweet pepper, plantains, tons of cilantro and culantro. You name it, it goes into the soup. And that is cooked for at least two and a half hours until that meat is so tender that falls off the bone. It's full with collagen. It's full with protein all the vegetables that he liked. And he loved that soup in front of him after each treatment, which is already ready. Some arepas, which is this pre-cooked corn flour. I make this patties. Arepas is some, it's like our bread in Venezuela. We eat it for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. You stuff them, you fry them, you steam them. 
you do anything with them. And it's like the perfect little side to eat with avocados and delicious rice. That's one of the soups that my brother loves. I know that it's his favorite. And every time, you know, well, vamos, vamos a tomarnos esa sopa. Let's go and drink that soup. <laughs> That's amazing. I think it also, uh, like my mouth is watering. <laughs> I think anyone <laughs> listening, like it shows, like, I mean, I can tell, you know, I love reading cookbooks and it's like just verbally listening to this. I'm like, oh my goodness, like I need to yeah. go make this right now. Yeah. And then of course, for Sounds dessert, amazing. he loves he loves the tres leches. He's his favorite dessert, you know. He, but I tell him, listen, you have to like measure it, right? You cannot eat it every day. So, you know, for the day of your treatment, after your soup, you have a little tres leches. <laughs> That's amazing. And then, so one last question, just to get to know you a little better. What is your absolute favorite thing to make? I know wow. it's probably like the most deepest loaded question, but if you could pick one thing that you absolutely love. I'm going to tell you something. I'm very, very good in sauces. I can make you a sauce like you won't believe. So that's one of my specialties. I love the art of grilling and roasting and open fire. I absolutely love it. Actually, my third book is all about open fire. And so, you know, it's very much called to my culture. Arepas, you know, everybody knows in my restaurant, I have a basket of arepas that I kind of took oh, the arepa. I, I know. Right, right. The basket right? of three, I know. <laughs> so, you know, arepas, I grew up with them. And, you know, I make them all the time. And of course, I upscale them and, you know, serve them in a different way and try to make the chefy gourmet type of thing. But I think that that's what I go for, right? And that's why Chica is, you know, like a Latin steakhouse. You have the arepitas, you have the delicious sauces. I have influences from Peru and Argentina and Venezuela. Mexico is also a big influence. So I just tacos. Oh my God, I can make a mean taco. <laughs> and <laughs> okay. I can go on and on and on. <laughs> no, I love it. I'm sure our listeners will as well. It's been such a pleasure to talk with you, you know, obviously not just about your experience with Glioblasma, but you as a chef and your experience with food. And I think it's just so insightful and so interesting that I'm really thankful we had the pleasure to go through this today. And I'm excited for all the work we'll continue to do together. Thank you so much, Amber, for the invitation. My table is always open to continue to discuss and talk and whatever we can do to bring awareness to this disease and wishing all the very luck and the best wishes to everybody that is going through this difficult times. That's it for this week's show. Thank you so much for tuning in again to another episode of Glioblastoma, aka GBM. To get in touch with our organization, visit us online at gbmresearch.org or visit us on Instagram or Facebook at Glioblastoma Research. Visit us on Twitter at glioblastoma.org or visit us on LinkedIn at Glioblastoma Research Organization. To make a donation to the organization, which is fully tax deductible, visit us online at gbmresearch.org, where you can designate your donation in honor of someone or find other methods that you can make a donation with. Thank you again for supporting us, for supporting the show, and we'll see you next week.